listening to Rattle and Pedal, diversion thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Your hosts are Jason Malicki and Jeff McKay. So last time we talked, you shined the spotlight on me and interviewed me and, and embarrassed me a little bit, put me in uncomfortable situations, which is great. So now I get to do it to you. So here is my first question. And it's, it's, it's a question I had never really thought that much about until one day when we were prepping this podcast, I suddenly realized that how I had been thinking about this word clearly is not how you thought about this. Oh, word. God. So <laughs> my question, and, and, and I'm not saying one's right or wrong. I'm just saying I probably had never thought about the word. Why the word prudent? Oh, you know, many people ask me why I chose that word. And I bet you probably an exponential number don't ask me about that word because there's a preconceived notion of what it means. So I really appreciate it when people say, why'd you choose the word prudent? And there were several reasons for it. The first one is as a CMO, I was really frustrated with agencies in general. (laughs) And I felt like they always wanted to come in and meet with, you know, the C-level marketing exec and talk about the latest fad trend technology that was going to change everything. And in my experience, no one thing ever changes everything. When I decided to start this firm, I wanted a firm that was going to focus on practical wisdom, things that worked. And I felt like that was a key differentiator for me as well, having not come out of the agency world. And I don't even consider myself an agency. I consider myself a management consulting firm that Prudence on one level speaks to practical wisdom, things that work, that have been learned from experience. So it was very pragmatic in that regard. The second, and I talk about this quite a bit in all of my writing, and it's kind of a a tone that comes through every communication that comes from me is this concept of living for something larger than ourselves. Thomas Merton famously wrote, and I I live by this adage, that our lives are shaped by what we live for. And I've added the word firm to that quote, our lives and our firms are shaped by what we live for. And it's something bigger than ourselves. It's beyond just the pursuit of profit or profit's sake, but about having an impact in the world. And if you look at the definition of prudence, prudence is one of the four cardinal virtues and prudence guides the other three cardinal virtues. And that really leads to the third reason why I chose prudence is just kind of describes who I am. I tend to be more thoughtful, more discerning, more introspective, I never would have guessed those things. about. (laughs) (laughs) And it was actually my wife who really suggested it. And because she knows me so well, and she's like, boy, if there was just one word that described you, that one would rise high on the list. So I knew there'd be pushback on it, particularly certain age group. 
And I even feel this way. The image of Dana Carvey on Saturday Night Live doing his best George H.W. Bush imitation about not oh. going to do it, wouldn't be prudent. It just makes me laugh. And I think it makes a lot of people laugh. But the downside of it is it really doesn't reflect the importance of prudence in our individual lives and the lives of our firms. And I actually have, so, so, I actually have, I haven't shared this with you, Jason, but in the seminal piece that I, I wrote on the purpose of a leader, I speak to this, but there is a set of 10 questions that prudent firms and prudent leaders ask themselves. And I'm going to send this to you after we get off the call. I have a new infographic on that so that you could print that out and put that on the wall in your office and maybe someday you could become prudent too. The, the odds that are low. The thing I think is interesting about it is that I, I think a lot of people, if their wives said, you're very prudent, would probably take that as an insult. I mean, you know, like, because it implies, I think the implication to a lot of people is that it's almost extreme caution, not being willing to take a risk. But I think the way I hear you describe it, that how you perceive the word to be, or even really maybe the reality of the word to be about which I think is a really fascinating thing about language. So that we're out of time now. I'm teasing. But no, the second question I have well, hey, is about before you pedal. Before you ask me that question, so, I think that's, that's a great yeah. point. And I want to clarify it. Most people misconstrue the word to be risk averse. And quite yeah. honestly, it's just the opposite. Because prudence is about identifying risk, knowing risk, but going in spite of the risk. Mm -hmm. And that's something most people don't think about. And I would argue that in today's business world, taking a stand against conventional wisdom is the prudent thing to do more often than not. But firms don't take that risk. They do what is safe under the auspices of taking a risk, but really isn't a risk. I just think that's an important distinction that the word has gotten twisted 180 degrees, but it's often more risky to act in a prudent way in conventional business wisdom. I can't argue with that. My sense is that the pairing of the word prudent with the word pedal was purposeful and meaningful. Because my inclination on the word pedal is that, of course, it's, you're putting your foot down on the pedal, you're trying to accelerate. Is, is, but, but I think it's deeper than that for you, right? Why pedal? It is. And if I hadn't created a name for this firm and gone with a word that was in the dictionary, like they say at Rattleback, it might be less confusing. <laughs> <laughs> but the pedal is a metaphor from cycling. I'm a big cycling fanatic. And the pedal is about efficiency. If you immerse yourself in cycling, you learn that there is a very particular way to spin the pedals on a bike. And I use that as a metaphor for how to get the most out of an investment in marketing. And so it's about smart and efficient and setting growth in motion. And it's those combination of things that Prudent Pedal speaks to. All right. So then when did you go out on your own and why did you go out on your own? Because you had had a number of senior marketing positions in large firms and companies, right? Yes. There were... So why did you strike out on your own? So I, I struck out on my own for a couple of reasons, multiple reasons. The first one 
is I fell in love with consulting when I was at Genworth Financial. We had 1,800 financial advisors and as CMO, one of the things my team was tasked with was helping these financial advisors who were accountants and wealth managers grow their clients. And as I was developing these trainings and helping these financial advisors do this, I just fell into something I was really good at and just thoroughly enjoyed. And I said, if I ever had a chance to to do this, I would try to do it full time. And a year later, a private equity firm came in and, and bought Genworth Financial and they didn't need me. The new private equity firm Sarah already had a really good CMO. And I used the package I received as seed money to start this company. So the timing was just hmm. really serendipitous. Sounds like prudent risk. Yes, yes. But I think the other <laughs> thing, you know, being in your 40s and, and having those senior roles, I had really had enough, I think, of, of the corporate life and what I call the BS of PS. And I was ready to try and go to attack that kind of dysfunctional culture that exists in professional services firms. And it's the thing that really shapes the type of work that we do that what's causing professional services firms to underperform their growth potential isn't always just bad marketing or inefficient marketing. It's cultural. And culture is at the heart of our model. So. I wanted to get out and help more firms do that stuff. And, you know, this firm allowed me to do that. And then the third reason, and this is probably one of the most important, I have three kids. All three of them are adopted from Guatemala and they were growing up so fast, you know, as I was flying all over the world in these corporate roles and I just didn't want to be away from them anymore. So setting up Prudent Pedal gave me a chance to spend more time with my kids. And, you know, that's been one of the best things for me and the family. Do the kids agree with that? <laughs> Some of them do. <laughs> How did you end up in professional services? Oh, my gosh. That's a great question. I grew up as you and I share this. We were in family businesses. Yeah. Mine was the auto parts business. My grandfather. I was curious if you'd be sharing the story or not. That's why I was curious. My grandfather came over from Ireland and he started this auto parts business out of the trunk of his car during the depression. And my father and uncle joined the business when they came of age. And I think to a large degree, it was just always assumed that the third generation would come in as well. I was being groomed from a young age. I started working in our parts stores when I was 13, but I was running around those stores from the time I could walk. So I went to undergrad at Illinois State because my dad said, go there, get a marketing degree. And I just went because that's what you did in the family I was in. And when I got out I went to work for a Silicon Valley company that served the auto parts industry, a company called Triad Systems. Again, just to get more experience in the industry. Then I went to work to operations for a big firm, a state away. And then it was back to the family company in senior roles in my 20s. I had lots of responsibility as a, as a young guy there. No marketing whatsoever. 
I managed all the IT operations. I managed our warehouse customer service operations. I managed 75 product lines like AC Delco and Motorcraft and big brands like that. And I thought that's where I was going. And then I got, I went back to school for my MBA against my father's wishes. And I just was exposed to something new and and different in my mind. And I've always had this passion for kind of the intersection of business and psychology and spirituality. And I was at St. Louis U and several of my professors were family business consultants and saw me as kind of a lab rat. And I just fell in love with these family business companies and the issues they were wrestling with and trying to sustain the longevity of these. And I said, that's what I wanted to do. And I called up Arthur Anderson, who had just bought Leon Danko's, who was the grandfather of, of the family consulting space. I said, give me a job. And they said, who are you? Three hours later, after a lunch <laughs> with a managing partner, they hired me and I jumped into professional oh, services wow. and I just found my niche. It was a rough transition moving from the kind of blue collar auto parts industry into that white shoe, white collar consulting. But those were my people, smart, driven, articulate. They accepted you anyway, huh? They did, they did. It's funny. You're listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on growing your professional services firm. Your hosts are Jason Malicki, principal of Rattleback, the marketing agency for professional services firms, and Jeff McKay, former CMO and founder of strategy consultancy, Prudent Pedal. If you find this podcast helpful, please help us by telling a friend and rating us on iTunes. Thank you. Now back to Jason and Jeff. You were consultants, so you started in a consulting function Mm -hmm. before transitioning into the marketing function of the firm. Yeah, I was doing a combination of things because this was a, well, it had a good brand. The Center for Family Business was a fledgling practice. So they needed consultants, marketers, and business developers all into one. So I was doing all three of those things. The interest for Arthur Anderson was, you know, the tax and the estate planning. And for me, the interest was the psychology in the business side. So it was just a match made in heaven. Why did you leave that then? Why did you transition out of that role to whatever you did next? And I'm not, I'm not sure what, what came next. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great question. There were a couple of things that happened, but the most in- important one was that the partner I was working with left the firm. He had some personal okay. issues, marital issues, and he just left. And the business was a little young and the office wasn't committed to it. And it just was, the timing was wrong. Well, I had been doing some work, some marketing work at the same time with their middle market practice. There was a overlap between those two. And the CMO at the time took an interest in some of the work I was doing. And I started doing some work for him and the middle market practice. Well, then the global head of middle market practice got wind of some of the stuff I was doing and asked me to join her team. And it was just an opportunity I couldn't pass up. 
I mean, it was a great, yeah. she was a phenomenal person and one of the most influential people in my, my business life. And when she offers you an opportunity to work with her, you take it. And I did. And that's, that's really <laughs> that changed my life. And I'm happy for it. Well, that's really interesting. We could probably spend days inside of that kind of just transition from a family business and, and into consulting and into marketing, but, but we're not going to. What I want to do is I want to transition just and just talk a little bit about kind of the things you do outside of work. You, know, you mentioned a little bit about that, that you love to cycle. So here's my question. So imagine that you woke up tomorrow and you had absolutely nothing to do. You could do anything you want. You had no obligations, no deadlines, no commitments to anyone. What would you do with that day? Whoa. I asked the question because I'm not sure I have the answer for me. So, so maybe you can give me some inspiration. Yeah, that's a great question. My, my kids often utter this phrase, as I'm sure all of our listeners' kids do, I'm bored. And they often ask me, Dad, do you ever get bored? And I would say, not anymore. There is so much for me to do. I just never get bored. So having a day like that would just, I wouldn't even know where I would start. I could tear down some bikes and rebuild them. I could read, you know, 20 books. I could garden. I'd go for a hike in the woods. I'd go scuba diving. There are just so many things I could do. I don't know. I'd go for a hundred mile bike ride. I just would do it all. I really thought you were going to ask me if you'd win the lottery, what would you do? I could ask that question too. Oh, I would definitely be a philosopher, monk slash bike mechanic. I'd open open up my bike shop and just have people come in, fix bikes for free, talk about philosophy, theology, politics, economics, drink some good wine, eat some good salamis and cheese and bread. And just have a heyday. I think that was, all day that was another business plan you had. Huh? It was either prudent pedal or philosophy slash slash bike shop. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I figure after I'm done <laughs> with the consulting, I can just use the brand for my philosophy <laughs> bike shop. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. We'll we'll add a little all coffee right. corner yeah. and just keep going, not miss a beat. But this is something people probably don't know. My office actually is part bike shop. I have three or four bikes of mine in the room. You know, I've got a bike rack, all the tools. And when I need a little break from thinking, either go for a ride or tinker on something in that in that shop. And it frees up my mind to to solve some problems. Why do you need three or four bikes? Well, it depends on whether the sun is shining or if you're riding up a hill or down a hill across the dirt or you need a little bling or you want to go fast or you want to go slow. Obviously, you don't know anything about cycling or you wouldn't have asked such an absurd question. I'm just curious, when you leave your garage, does does it sometimes go uphill or downhill? (laughs) Okay, so I want to play a a bit of a game with you. And I'm going to ask you a series of rapid fire either or questions. You can't think about them for more than a couple seconds. And you got to pick one. Okay. Is this going to lead okay. to embarrassment? I don't know. We'll find out. Okay. So <laughs> when I run for mayor of the Grange, there's going to come back and haunt me. Okay. Fire away. <laughs> Galaga or Miss Pac-Man? I guess I'll say Miss Pac-Man. I'm not into games. Okay. Batman or Superman? Oh, Superman. No doubt. Oh, interesting. SWAT or Five Forces? SWAT. Oh, interesting. No, 
no, Seinfeld no. or Modern Family? You can't, you can't change. I said, I said rapid fire. You got to keep going. Seinfeld or Modern Family? Oh, Seinfeld. Oh, okay. Pearl Jam or Louis Armstrong? Uh, Louis Armstrong. Okay. John Glenn or Neil Armstrong? Ooh. How can you choose between those two? John Glenn. Oh, nice. So, I mean, maybe for some more younger listeners, some context, John Glenn was the first American in space. And of course, Neil Armstrong was the first man on the moon. All right. And Pixar or Disney? Pixar. Oh, nice. I have no idea what any of that means. It was just a bunch of questions I came up with that I wanted to ask you. <laughs> Ohio State, Michigan. Michigan. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> There's one last question that I think is worth covering real quick. And I, I think it's just to kind of give a little more context on you. So you're, you're an ordained minister, right? I am a Stephen minister. It's not okay. ordained. It's a special type of counseling for people going through grief. Okay. Yeah, there's no, there's no religion out there that would endure or ordain somebody like me. <laughs> <laughs> I have to confess to not really necessarily knowing what it means to be ordained or, or Stephen for that matter. So, yeah. But that's an important part of your life, right? It is. And I think it's paid real dividends for me. I became a Stephen minister, and you can look that up online on exactly what it is. But, you know, I had gone through some tough times early in my life, and there were some really important people that came through and, and helped me through some tough situations. And I became a Stephen minister to give back in a very similar way, in any way that I could. And it's been very useful to me as well, because I get more out of it than I think sometimes the people that are receiving care. But I think it's made me a better husband. It's made me a better father. It's made me a better friend. And it has definitely made me a better consultant because it's taught me how to listen and empathize in a way that I think is is lost anymore. I think so many of us just wait for our turn to talk instead of to really listen and, and understand. And until I went through the experience of being a Stephen minister, I never really appreciated what that meant to just be present for somebody to talk and to be listened to. So it's, it is an important part of, of who I am and I hope it continues to be. I'm sorry, that last part, I wasn't following. I wasn't paying attention. Could you repeat it? Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> that was really thoughtful. And I just want to thank you for taking the time to, to kind of share some of your backstory and some of what drives you and, and what's brought you to here to our listeners and to end with me. Thanks for your time today. All right. Thanks, Jason. See you, Jeff. Thank you for listening to Rattle and Pedal, divergent thoughts on marketing and growing professional services firms. Find content related to this episode at rattleandpedal.com. Rattle and Pedal is also available on iTunes and Stitcher.